Okay, Matthew 13, 10 to 17 is what I've been assigned. So, here goes. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And then is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. This people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. Turn the page. <laughs> and they will have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Thanks, Jenny. <coughs> oh, cool. All right. Thanks, Jenny. That's great. So this is uh, an introduction to the parables. We're going to look, take a, a number of Sundays to look at some of the parables of Jesus, not all of them, otherwise we might be here for <laughs> a very long time. But um, yeah, we're all familiar with male selective hearing syndrome. I guess uh, many of you have experienced that. My wife tells me that it happens quite a bit with me. Um, <clears throat> And the, the, the male look. There's actually a. Evidently, I found this. I found, found this next thing, which gives us a reason why that happens. <laughs> so that's evidently why there's, you know. The question you get is, did you tell me that? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I, I am finding that. Sarah says that she's told me that someone's coming for tea, and I'm like, oh. Um, someone in Garfunkel wrote in their song the, the boxer still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest and I, I get that Yeah, I, I guess I've <laughs> done that myself so in our reading today Jesus says that many of the people who listened to him had selective hearing syndrome and this affected their ability to understand the parables and it's quite a big deal isn't it because um, that, that uh, part of the verses uh, he says, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So healing is uh, an outcome of hearing the words of Christ. So this is, I mean, who doesn't want healing, right? This is um, very, very important that we get an understanding of what Jesus is talking about here. So um, before we begin looking at the parables themselves, we're going to start by asking the same question the disciples asked. Why did Jesus speak to the people in parables? So what is a parable? So Google definitions. 
uh, said a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Makes sense. We all love stories, don't we? Um, perhaps that's why we ask each other how our day or week or weekend has been. It's an invitation to tell stories to one another. Um, in fact, I decided to bypass that, and today I asked Andrew, have you got any good stories from the week? I just thought I'd go straight, straight for the jugular. So, um, yeah, I'm going to keep on asking Andrew that. <laughs> so it's amazing how powerful stories can be for teaching us, helping us empathise, inspiring us, changing us, or simply have a good laugh. One of my workmates was an expert at telling hilarious stories, um, one of which was um, when she was, she was just about to have an operation in the, and she'd just been given the anaesthetic and the doctor came in and said, hello Margaret. And she looked at the nurse and said, is your name Margaret? And the nurse said, no. And then she looked. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit alarming. Wouldn't it be, Mrs Smith, we've taken off your leg all as well. So Jesus' use of parables was far more than just illustrations. Though, and uh, I found a, uh, a quote from Kenneth Bailey um, that the parables of Jesus were actually metaphors. Now, metaphors are like the black sheep of the family, it's that, that kind of idea. Um, we don't have a black sheep in our family, but there's, if someone's the odd one out and behave a bit oddly um, different to the rest of the family, so that's what a metaphor is, right? So uh, Kenneth Bailey says, the metaphor does more than explain meaning, it creates meaning. A parable is an extended metaphor and as such it is not the delivery system for an idea, but a house in which the reader or listener is invited to take up residence. So this is, this is a lot more than just uh, a way of conveying a point. So if you think about, uh, you know, a parable is not like a bullet gets fired and there's a shell that's rem that remains. And then you could, you know, that, that's not what a parable is. It's not simply the shell that contains the bullet. Um, as Kenneth Bailey says, a parable is a house in which the reader or listener is invited to take up residence. Now I don't know about you, but the more you sit in your house, the more odd stuff you notice about your house. Like, you know, oh, there's some cobwebs up there. Oh, there's a bit of a bit of paint and, and you go into each room and, and some, sometimes you, you switch on a light and you see imperfections in the walls and stuff like that. So the more you sit in a house, the more you know about the house. And that's kind of like the parable. Jesus is inviting us to sit in the parable and let it speak to us. And it keeps opening up, right? We haven't... I don't think we... We can say of any of Jesus' parables that we, okay, we know what that one's about. We don't have to explore it anymore. It doesn't work like that. There's, everyone who reads the parable will get something new out of it. So this is what Kenneth Bailey is saying. Now, if we go on to the next slide, um, I found this in the InterVarsity Press New Testament commentary, and it says... Jesus reveals special truths to his disciples through parables. Jewish teachers use parables as sermon illustrations to explain the point that they're making. So that's like the, the shell and the bullet analogy. Too often an illustration without stating the point, however, was like presenting a riddle instead. So many of Jesus' parables, he didn't explain what the point was. Right? And that's, 
Like, sometimes a bit frustrating, but also cool, because it means that there's always more to explore. So why did Jesus present many of his parables as riddles? And in answering that question, I think we need to look at the two groups of people who were listening to Jesus on that, on that day. And these two groups were the crowd and the disciples. Who was in the crowd? Well, if you go back to the previous um, chapter and the start of chapter 13, we see that in the crowd there was the sick and demon-possessed. So, in other words, those who needed something from Jesus. And potentially, if they weren't sick or demon-possessed, then maybe they wouldn't be there, right? And that's one good thing about being broken and having brokenness in your life is that you, it causes you to take action. And that certainly was the case in my life. Um, and the second people, um, as part of the crowd, were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So we know that those guys weren't on Jesus' side. They were looking at trying to trip him up. So they were there judging him. They weren't engaging in what he was saying other than to try and trip him up. And no doubt there were also those who were interested in what Jesus had to say and maybe they came up afterwards and they asked the disciples, what was that about? And others who were just attracted to the large group of people. I mean, any time... It's like those flash mobs, right? There's... Um, Sometimes a group of people decide to all stand in one place and look up. And they all do that. And then people that walk past, they join in. They look up, you know. And there's, there's no other reason for joining the crowd other than, oh, they're all looking up. There must be something interesting up there. So there's probably some of those people in there as well. Who were the disciples? Well, they were in close relationship with Jesus. They were his pupils who had committed themselves to doing life with Jesus and becoming like him. So they sought understanding of spiritual truths that Jesus was sharing. Now, whenever we have a question, the disciples show us how to go about answering it. And that's simply to go to Jesus and ask him the question. Now, they were blessed because they could hear a response, like straight away from a human being, and that's cool. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's an awesome privilege. I'm kind of jealous that they had that privilege, actually. Um, but we uh, might need to hold our question before the Lord. It could be a question about a parable or it could be some other question. We might need to hold that question before the Lord for days or weeks or months or even years before the answer comes. Um, but the length of time is not important. The point is that revelation comes through relationship with Jesus. Okay, so revelation comes through relationship. Why did Jesus reveal the secrets of the kingdom of heaven to his disciples but not to the crowd? Is he trying to exclude people from his kingdom? Um, I, I don't know how you felt reading that, reading that verse. Um, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you but not to them. It's kind of like, that's, that sounded a bit, a bit harsh. But he goes on to explain why, Matthew thirteen fifteen. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their eyes and they have closed their eyes. They have closed their eyes. It's the, the people that have closed their eyes, so they can't see. So it's a decision. And he said that the people's hearts have become callous. Now, that's kind of like a metaphor too, right? A callous, I've got calluses on the tips of my finger from on the, playing the, the guitar. And, um, and I was like, so it's kind of like 
our, the hearts of, of these people have become calloused or hard. Um, now I looked at the Greek word um, pakino, which means make fat. Make, make fat. And I was just like, man, that's weird. I uh, still wasn't any further ahead in my understanding of this word until I read. The Hebrew make fat has in this context the meaning of arrogant, unresponsive, or dull. So Jesus is saying that it is arrogance that leads to a calloused heart. And that stops us hearing and seeing spiritual truths that God is wanting to reveal to us. Okay, so it's arrogance. What is arrogance? Oh, Google's very helpful. Having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. Now, the heart of arrogance is self-reliance, isn't it? You don't need anyone's help because, hey, I've got everything I need. I don't need to take advice. I don't need to seek. I don't need to ask questions. I've got it all. That's arrogance. And we rely on our own abilities to get us through. And this leads to an exclusion of God from our thought life and decision making. And this is, yeah, I find myself, um, it's my natural reaction to just go about life. Like when I'm at work, for example, it's my natural reaction just to go about life, uh, do my work, and I'm not conscious of God very much. And I, and I um, it's only when I hit something that I was like, whoa, what do I do here? That's when I, I turn to the board. So hopefully it's not arrogance. It's just um, a human way of, of dealing with life. Um, so I, I'm on this journey of, of asking the Lord to be more a part of my conscious decision-making and part of my day. What is the antonym or opposite of arrogance? It's humility. What is a very good test for whether or not we are arrogant? What we do with Jesus' parables. In fact, what we do with Jesus will stop. And I was talking with one of my workmates. Uh, we were on a, a trip to Auckland. And he said, if God exists, why has he hidden himself? Now some would say that he hasn't hidden himself because he has revealed himself in Christ. And, and that's true. But... I'm sure we can all agree that we can't approach Jesus like the disciples could. We, couldn't, we can't ask him a question and, and hear audibly an answer from him. Uh, much like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve could, would walk with the Lord and they could ask him questions. So I didn't answer my workmate. I wasn't sure of the answer. But I've reflected on this question for some time and I think the answer is that God wants to be pursued. And John and Stacey Eldridge uh, wrote a book called Captivating, Unveiling the Mystery of a Woman's Soul. And they explore the idea of what the heart of a woman revealed about the nature of God. And they wrote this. <clears throat> Can there be any doubt that God wants to be sought after? The first and greatest of all commands is to love Him. He wants us to love Him, to seek Him with all our hearts. <clears throat> a woman longs to be sought after too, with the whole heart of her pursuer. God longs to be desired just as a woman longs to be desired. And that was very thought-provoking. It's always stuck in my mind. Um, because we are made in the image of God and, and there, there's something about our male and femaleness that shows us <clears throat> something about what uh, God is like. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Often without explaining the point. 
because he wants us to pursue the answer. And this will mean pursuing him for the answer. So in other words, he wants to be pursued by us. Let's return to Kenneth Bailey's comment about, being a, par- about a parable being a house in which to take up residence, to sit in and observe how things look when you're on the inside of the story. Jesus invites us to sit in his parables and see how things look. The crowd hangs back and tries to figure out the story from the outside. Disciples humble themselves and they enter into the house to see what um, revelations that he brings. So what does all this mean? I think there's a number of very important points here. The first one is revelation is a gift. In other words, spiritual understanding is a gift. Jesus said that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven were given. Therefore, this revelation is a gift. And this is very humbling for our human nature. And it's a very important point for those of us to seek to teach from the word of God. Knowledge can be a dangerous thing. As 1 Corinthians says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. In other words, knowing that we know something more than the next person can easily lead to a prideful attitude of I'm better than them because I know more. And the lie behind the statement, of course, is that I am what I know. And this is an identity thing. This is a disease that affects a lot of us, even in the church. And I'll never forget my disappointment when I was doing my Masters. I thought all scientists were simply after the the extension of scientific knowledge and to help solve problems for the world. But I was very wrong. Many scientists are more interested in proving to others, especially in the science world, that they know more and are therefore better than everyone else. It's, it's no different in anything, is it? You get the experts and everyone goes, oh, they're amazing. But, and then it's very easy for the expert to say, oh, I'm better than you clowns because I know more than you. If revelation of the secrets of the kingdom of God is a gift, there is no place for ego. And I came across something that Jeff Bezos said. So he's the founder of Amazon. He's one of the richest men in the world. He says, let's say you are unusually smart and math is really easy for you. Or if you're unusually beautiful or very handsome, those are gifts. And you can celebrate gifts, but don't be proud of those. Be proud of hard work and be proud of your choices. That's what you should really take away. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool. You can't be proud of gifts. Because you were given them. You didn't suddenly wake up and think, man, I'm handsome this morning. <laughs> it doesn't work like that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't do that with a photo in Photoshop. So if revelation is a gift, we can't be proud of the knowledge that God reveals to us. It was a gift. Something to remember. Second point is this. Revelation comes through relationship with Jesus. It's interesting to note that the only difference between the crowd and the disciples <clears throat> was that the crowd was uh, the disciples were actively following Jesus and in close relationship with him. They weren't any smarter. Because Jesus tells a parable and then goes to talk with his disciples and then explains what the parable means. So if the, if the disciples were really smart, they would have figured it out and Jesus would have had to explain it to them. So they, they weren't any smarter than the, than the people in the crowd. They were just simply in relationship with Jesus. 
Receiving revelation is not about being smarter, it's about being humble. And perhaps humility is a gift that we can ask for too. The disciples asked Jesus a question showing that they didn't know it all and they were honestly seeking an answer. And they knew who would give it to them. Jesus has the answer. And let's return to the IBP New Testament commentary. By articulating his principles only in parables, Jesus offers riddles whose answer can be fathomed only by those who understand them in the context of his own ministry or who patiently press into his inner circle to wait for the interpretation. So that's kind of the same thing about the house analogy, right? You go, if you're invited... um, So I guess it's kind of like waiting to see a doctor or something like that. You're going to wait until the doctor's ready to see you. And and if you're really wanting to seek the answer or to seek a a problem that needs to be solved, an answer to a problem, you're going to wait. And so Jesus invites us to sit in, in these parables that he gives us and patiently wait for an interpretation. And this could be an ongoing process. So any one of the crowd could have become, could have become a disciple by asking for revelation about what the parable meant. And perhaps some did, but no doubt many remained as distant bystanders looking for an interesting way to spend an afternoon. So as we begin our study of the parables, may we use this opportunity to patiently press into Jesus and wait on him to reveal something of what each parable means. The third one, the foundation of a humble relationship is reliance on Jesus. <clears throat> if the heart of arrogance is self-reliance, then the heart of humility is reliance on Jesus. The disciples relied on Jesus to answer their questions and give them revelation of spiritual truths. And the Bible is full of verses telling us to rely on God. And one of my favourites is Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Do not rely on it. Do not place your weight on it. The fragrance of a person in right relationship with Jesus is humility, a teachable spirit, an acknowledgement that they don't know it all, a willingness to admit when they're wrong, and an embracing of situations in life that deconstruct their human pride and take them beyond their own abilities and resources. Now what I mean by that last statement, embracing situations in life, I was... um, Last week, early in the week, I didn't have a great week. I, I, my communi- communication skills aren't great in terms of organisation, and I organised something that didn't, what didn't end up happening, and I forgot to tell the team, and so they were understandably not very happy with me. And there was, my pride came just like, you know, it was just like I found it a bit threatening, you know. And then I thought, hold on, this is an example to embrace that. Because it, it wrecks my pride. And so it'll stop me from placing my identity in how good I am at my job. And, and that's something I want to work on. So, so I embraced it. I was like, okay, I, I'm going to say I'm sorry I, I, I made a few bad decisions. And so I want to embrace situations like that that deconstruct my pride. So that's what I, I mean by that statement. So let's bring it home. C.S. Lewis wrote this awesome thing. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell them the first step. The first step is to realise that one is proud. And the biggest step too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. (laughs) I love that guy. 
He's so good, eh? And that's from Mere Christianity, which, if you want to read it, I very much encourage you, uh, if you haven't read it, to, to get hold of it. So let's admit it. We're more like the crowd than we should be. And we're less like the disciples than we would like to be. And that's kind of humbling to say, right? But it's the truth, I think. As we embark on the series looking at some of the parables of Jesus, let's ask the Lord to help us use this time to seek gifts of revelation from him. And I want to finish with this Psalm 86, 11. <coughs> Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Now, I don't often give you homework, but we've just been talking about sitting in parables, right? So I'm going to give you a parable to sit in. No pressure. If you don't want to do it, it's fine. But I want, you, I want to give you an invitation or an opportunity to sit in a parable. And it's quite an interesting one. It's uh, the parable of the workers, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. So if you have time over this coming week, just at the very least read it and just ask the Lord... Oh, sorry, sorry. <coughs> Matthew chapter 20, 1 to 16. <coughs> so just invite you to sit in the house of that parable and see what revelations come. <coughs> 